This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Hello there. Rancho Obi-Wan, the Guinness World Records certified largest Star Wars memorabilia collection. Located in Petaluma, California, featuring the collection of super collector, author, and Star Wars fan ambassador Steve Sansweet. The most powerful Jedi ever. Visit RanchoObiWan.org and subscribe to the Rancho Obi-Wan Virtual Museum. A fun, authentic fan experience. Featuring rare photos, videos, Steve Sansweet Q&As, virtual tours of the museum, exclusive behind the seen stories and information and so much more plus your subscription helps ensure the future of the museum it's the rancho obi-wan virtual museum subscribe now at RanchoObiWan.org. get tons of cool perks information and history of star wars collecting from the man who knows it best steve sansweet while contributing to the preservation of the world's largest star wars memorabilia collection RanchoObiWan.org. <laughs> Hi, this is Iana, Adlan, and Lida from the Padawan Report, and you're listening to the Scare Scuttlebutt Podcast. May the force be with you. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Scarif Live. Let's pop out this graphic here. Thank you guys for being in the chat. Hey, there we are. How's everybody doing? Like I was saying, we have a very special edition of Scarif Live here this August 25th. I am Ro from the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast, and across the stars from me is Mr. Brad, the butt to my scuttle. Brad, how's it going, man? (laughs) uh it, it's it's uh, more dismal than uh camino here it's been it's been raining harder than camino uh for the last three weeks i think and i i've i've had enough but uh you know who we got coming on tonight kind of bring some sunshine some some scare of sun oh definitely sky there is definitely going to be some scare of sun here uh today and uh i was telling you before we came on the air we uh this is probably like the first time I, I'm getting like real butterflies. I'm, I'm real nervous about this one. Um, obviously, being uh, a collector of Star Wars myself, uh, being able to uh, to talk to to Steve is uh, is going to be an amazing treat for me. Brad, do you remember your very first Star Wars collectible? First well, collectible. Well, what's the definition of a collectible? Are we going to get into that? You know, my first yeah, toy. Yeah, your first toy. I mean, I, obviously, I we, we were kids when the movie yeah. came out. So, what was your first uh, Star Wars collectible? The one that I wish that I had hung on to uh, was my Ewok Village from uh, from Return. Of the, I, I had that, and then uh, I got a reproduction years later, which was probably nicer, actually, to tell you the truth, than the original. Sure. Um, but that, you know, between that and the Rancor, you know, as a kid, uh, th- those are probably my favorites. And, you know, I-, I wish I had hung on to so many more things from when I was a kid. And that was the reissued, uh, it, it, before that, it was the um, the Sherwood Forest uh, Robin Hood playset. Oh, was it really? Playset, yes. And we'll we'll confirm that with Steve. I'm sure he, he's got all the... All the, the you know the, all the details on that, but um, yeah, I mean you know obviously all the toys. Were, a little bit there. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So my my first collectible, I have it right here. It's uh, one of the original uh, stormtroopers, and as you can see, it was been played with. I burnt as it should be. I burnt his elbow because I wanted him to hold the gun like this instead of like that. So I I was a mischievous little kid, and it's got some carbon scoring on his feet. Yeah, he had uh, quite an adventure, um, along with uh, this original Stormtrooper. I also had Princess Leia, um, so I was able to recreate uh, many fun scenes of uh, the captive princess. Uh, but uh, I digress. Brad, are you going to ask me? Uh, ask me who we're going to be talking to this evening. I already said uh -huh. his name, but. Steve, somebody. Who, who are we talking to? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Uh, so we've been very excited, obviously, for this show. Many weeks in the planning. And if you're a fan of uh, rooms and rooms and more rooms of Star Wars collectibles, then you've got to stick around for this. Guys in the chat, thank you very much for joining us. Um, uh, we're going to play a quick little sizzle reel and then come back and uh, we will uh, start talking to Mr. Steve Sansweet. Stand by, everybody. Let's bring in Mr. Steve Sansweet from Ranch Obi-Wan, who will grace the sunny skies with Scarif. Steve, how's it going? It's gone great, guys. Thank you for inviting me along. I, I didn't realize until looking at that little sizzle reel that I could move so quickly, but uh, <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing what a little post-production can do, a definitely. little post-production, yeah. There you go, there you go. But, that that uh, five seconds, I think, is my entire bucket list right, right there in that, <laughs> in that sizzle right. reel. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was telling Brad, you know, we've been collecting Star Wars ourselves for, for quite a long time. As you can see, you know, behind us, we've got uh, quite uh, an array, but obviously nothing compared to uh, the, uh, the collection that you have curated throughout the years. Um, thank you very much for joining us here on the Scare Scuttlebutt podcast. I was telling, again, mentioning that, uh, you know, I'm getting a little nervous. It's a little kind of like a little starstruck here. But uh, thank you, Steve, for joining us. I'm just a fellow fan. That's all. <laughs> that is awesome. So I wanted to ask, um, you know, we, we've, we've kind of, you know, grown up together with this franchise, seeing people you know, collect things and, and the, the films and everything from Expanded Universe to sequel trilogy. And there's a lot of rich content that, uh, uh, you know, the maker has, has created um, through the action figures and the stories and the comic books. Tell us a little bit about your history with Star Wars and the fandom and the franchise and perhaps maybe your first appearance when you started to realize that your collection was a little bit more than just, you know, a guy hoarding toys. <laughs> well, I've been a collector all my life, so that goes way back into the 1950s when I was just a kid. And because uh, I'm one of those old dudes, as you can see by the, uh, the gray. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> So, um, but, uh, but I collected everything from uh, end of bread loaf wrappers to uh, little uh, ice cream cups, and they used to have movie star pictures on the inside. 
baseball cards, comic books. I had some, you know, comic books. Even the people had my brother who was older than me had some comic books from the 40s. If I had only kept some of those in good condition. So, yeah, yeah nice stuff. So I love science fiction growing up. A neighbor, uh, a friend of my parents, uh, was one of the early members of the science fiction book club, and he used to give me books that he had finished reading. So I read a lot of science fiction, and there were a lot of picture books. And this was the dawn of the space age. I loved the real world stuff. And um, so Star Wars came along. Well, actually, it was before Star Wars. I was, at that point, a reporter for the Wall Street Journal in Los Angeles. And I convinced uh, the paper that I wanted to write a story about antique toys. And at that point, antique toys meant something that was before 1900, usually. Um, uh, the old uh, die-cast cars and uh, metal banks and wind-up tin toys from France and Germany. And uh, I was at one of my interviews, and the gentleman uh, said, well, you want to know, we talked about his collection. I think he had the big cars and everything. And he said, you want to know what the next hot thing is going to be? It's, it, and then brought out a box of plastic robots. And um, I can remember there was a robot called Robert the Robot, and it was uh, red and yellow and blue plastic, and it had a... $2.98 uh, price tag on it in the name of the store, the Hollywood Toy Shop. So when I finished the interview, I sped directly over to the Hollywood Toy Shop, bought nine robots, nine different robots that they had on the shelves, bought all the batteries for them, brought them home, uh, put the batteries in and had them all walk across the kitchen floor. Scared my dog half to death, but uh, <laughs> I was hooked on that. So I started collecting old Japanese uh, tin toys and all space-oriented kinds of stuff. And then Star Wars came out. And um, Star Wars just blew me away. It was, um, I had heard something about it. Um, uh, there was a screening for financial journalists in Los Angeles on the back lot of 20th Century Fox a week and a half before Star Wars opened. And so um, I went there, and just like everybody, almost everybody else in the audience, when the Star Destroyer goes overhead, we all involuntarily looked up and then sort of had a laugh to ourselves because obviously there wasn't a Star Destroyer on the ceiling. Um, but, uh, but I can just remember uh, leaving the screening and going up to the, uh, the public relations guy who had invited us all and said, could I have my ticket back? So that was one of my early collectibles, although not the first Star Wars collectible. Wow. Yeah. I mean, even even now, I still save my tickets. And, uh, you know, I go out with friends and we, we make an event of it. Obviously, it's, uh, you know, close and, and dear to, to every fandom's heart, uh, fan's heart. And um, that's that's really cool. So let me ask you, Steve, why, why is it that people collect? I talked with uh, one of our uh, friends over at the uh, Holocronicles podcast, and we were discussing really the, the notion of collecting. You know, it's, it's this thing where we take this piece of plastic and we remember we have fond memories uh, that are related to this. Um, what, what is it that makes people collect and enjoy it? 
Well, I think that's the secret. It's the memories we have, the nostalgia we have, the ability when it comes to collecting something from a movie to take a piece of that movie home with you um, to help relive it in the case of the Star Wars, the toys, the action figures, and the vehicles. It was the ability to create scenes from, recreate scenes from the movie, and make a, your own scenarios, have Luke and Han fighting over the hand of Princess Leia, although that turned out to be not such a good idea when we found out what well, we found out a little later in the uh, in the saga. But um, it's that um, it's that wanting to have, wanting to build the collection, wanting to put things together, adding to the collection. Um, it, it just gives you a, a a real good feeling in that part of the brain that has the endorphins and makes you feel good. Absolutely. Now I got to ask: Are are you a um, leave the toy in the box or take the toy out of the box as it should be to to play with it? Well, it's all according. Uh, when it comes to action figures, I try to get two of each, and so I have a set of out of the off the card action figures and um, on the card action figures. So I have a complete display of all the original action figures on their original cards. But my first 12 figures, I open them up and I just did all sorts of dioramas with them and played with them and put the clay underneath their feet and just had them stand on the shelves. And uh, But then I went back and I, I rebought the first 12 figures. But I did it fairly early on because I can still remember um, driving to the store and I had asked the uh, owner who was one of the very first one of the early Star Wars dealers when people were not really paying much attention to actually people buying Star Wars things that were everybody would say well they're still in the store why would you why would you buy something from a dealer what what is a dealer doing with Star Wars stuff but he put together, at my request, a full set of the first 12 figures on the cards. And I think it cost me something like some outrageous figure, like $185 for the first 12 original figures, men on the cards. Wow. And that was an outrageous figure. Um, and then I was leaving the store and he said, uh, oh, I've got something else that might interest you. And from under the counter, he pulls out a mint carded vinyl caped Jawa and I said what's that that some some fan make that or something like that and he wow. said no no this is this is real this is I said well it's sort of ugly uh, they're <laughs> much much nicer looking with the cloth cape I said what do you want for it and he said well I have to get 40 bucks for it and I said 40 bucks are you kidding me I just gave you 185 for all 12 figures and you want four I said, I'll pass, thanks. And I oh. didn't have much cash left, and he only took cash. So I went out to my car and didn't have much gas in the car and needed to get, drive a half hour to get home. And I start to put the key in the door lock, and something stopped me and said to me, stupid, you might not get another chance. And I went back in, bought it. And I just about made it home as the uh, gas gauge was, was approaching zero. But I got my vinyl cape Jawa on the card, which I still have for wow. 40 bucks. Holy smokes. What an awesome story. From that, I learned, you know, rarely pass something up that you think you can get cheaper 
or slightly better condition because the odds are it's going to be a long time, if ever, that something is going to come up to you again. You know, that's uh, that's the one thing that I learned as well, you know, while, you know, collecting things. It's um, they, And there's also something, too, about our brains. There's something that's kind of like calling to you. And uh, there are there have been many times where I pass on something and then later on I come back and I'm like, I should not have passed on that. And uh, it, it just weighs heavy on you as a collector. Yeah, the, the second time that that happened to me, it was also with an action figure. And I almost passed on a mint on the card Canadian um, yak face with a coin. And that was $110, which would have been the most I had ever paid for an action figure. And so this obviously was like in 1984 or something like that. And I hesitated and then remembered buying the vinyl cape jaw. And I said, what the hell? Uh, and I have never seen another one of the show. And, and, and isn't Yak Face one of the most most valuable toys there is? Well, yak face, I mean, now there are plenty of yak faces around because they were distributed in Europe and Southeast Asia, but they were never sold in the United States. And so they were, yak face was probably going to be a send away, but the, the, the line sort of petered out and sales were going down. And so it was never distributed in the U.S. So I started buying yak faces from a German dealer um who was selling them who would get them in the stores and he was getting them cheap enough that i could buy them from him for four dollars each so uh yes they're pretty as as opposed to all the other action figures it's a fairly rare action figure not like a rocket firing boba fett but right yeah and then we'll uh I mean, we've got a question about that later on in our segment called century mode but uh i wanted to ask you you know you talked about some of these uh overseas action figures and there's some chat in the uh in the chat uh there's some talk in the chat about uh, a certain action figure um there have been some strange official star wars items um like the c-3po taped and spencer which uh is kind of uh weird weird looking um we, we talk about some of the more outrageous strange and unofficial or bootleg items um do you also collect those and i'm talking about uh somebody in the chat basically said the the Uze stormtrooper or the the you know the ones from russia with the the calculators on there well, they're actually from Turkey. Okay. Um, the Uze, the, there are bootlegs from Russia, and they are unpainted, and and the bubble is uh, is stapled on. Um, the Uze figures from Turkey um, were the Stars War figures. That's right. Yeah. So, um, and they had wonderful photo illustrations on the cards. Um, there's one of the uh, of the uh, I think it's the not the TIE fighter pilot, but the um, Imperial Guard. The, the Imperial Guard with the, and he's at the controls of what's supposed to be the Death Star laser cannon, and it's actually a Casio calculator. Right. So, um, but those figures are, are fairly unique, and the really rare one is called Headman, which is a Royal Guard with a silver helmet. And um, and that is a very difficult figure to find, and especially on a card. There are only a few of those are known to exist. 
So what's the story with those? Obviously, they're bootlegs, but are collectors uh, really wanting them? Or is the price being driven because of that? Yeah, the, the, the bootlegs are, are pretty, uh, pretty steep. I've got another story for you. You're bringing back all sorts of memories. There were dealer friends of mine, and this is probably in the late 80s, and um, I went to a toy show and a comic show, and there was very little Star Wars stuff to be had there. But I went over to their table, and they had what looked like a 10-pack of figures, uh, clearly bootleg, um, from Hungary. And uh, again, with the staples on the cards and staples on the plastic bubbles, and... Um, I tried to get them down in price. It was $125 for this display in the 80s. And um, couldn't get them to budge, not even $5 on the thing. And I eventually, once again, went back to the table and I decided to buy them. Things have escaped me, too. Uh, so I'm, I'm not always the, 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 the smartest one when it comes to that. But... Um, um, I went back and bought that, and this has now been identified as one of three known store window displays of these action figures. And it has like big bubbles across all of the packages, just one big bubble on the top and one big bubble on the uh, plastic on the bottom. And uh, a few years after I bought it, somebody offered me $5,000 for it. So I didn't sell it, but that that was a pretty good uh, estimation of that the $125 was uh, probably worth it. So when did you notice that your, your collection really started to grow past what a, a, you know, a normal collector would have? Was it uh, while the original trilogy was still going on or was it uh, you know, after that? Well, there were a couple of uh, occasions like that. There was one when Empire Strikes Back, the Empire Strikes Back came out. And I realized that there were a number of things that I was missing as far as like, I didn't have the large 12 inch Obi-Wan Kenobi figure. Um, and um, uh, some of the smaller action figures on the Star Wars cards. And so I would go into toy shops looking to try to fill in the Star Wars collection while I was buying the Empire Strikes Back um, uh, stuff new. And so I think Empire, I loved, the Empire Strikes Back so much that it really solidified the fact that this was becoming a major part of my collection because I was also buying at the time, as I had mentioned, the the old uh, rockets and robots from the 50s and 60s and early 70s. And so I had this generic space toy collection as well as a Star Wars collection, which was part of that. But I was also buying things like E.T. and Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and Major Matt Mason and um, all these very cool toys. It was later in the mid-80s to the late 80s when there really were very few Star Wars toys or objects that were new and around. This was sort of the dark period of Star Wars collecting. And um, a couple of major collectors were selling off their collection, some of them because they were getting divorced and they had to monetize the collection in order to split the assets of the, of the couple. And um, I bought some really 
large chunks of three major collections, and uh, one of which added hundreds of posters, early posters, to my collection, and another of which added some a lot of foreign objects. And so it was at that point, around 87, 88, that I really decided that Star Wars was becoming the, the really important part of the collection. And by the 90s, I started selling off some of the other stuff to pay for Star Wars uh, merchandise. I always tell this story, and uh, as far as uh, collecting, you know, it's one of those things you're, you're talking about how we uh, don't really want to pass things up because we'll be sorry later. And um, I, I've got a quick little story, and I was wondering, uh, what have you ever done that goes kind of like far beyond, I guess, <laughs> reason uh, in order to obtain a, a, a piece of collectible. I um, own. I've got, I've got a, a good one too. Yeah, I, I run <laughs> a, a video production company. I run it with a college buddy of mine since uh, since the early '90s, and uh, I think on Craigslist I saw that somebody was getting rid of uh, of an ad at. It was, I can't remember, it, it, it's, it's right behind me, but it's, it's, oh, here it is. That one right there. Yep. So it was, it was in a suburb like an hour away from Chicago. Um, I contacted this person. I said, I'm going to go get it in the morning. I'll, I'll be there at like 9 a.m. sharp, uh, ready to go. I got money. Let's, let's do this. And I start making my way over there, leave the city early, because obviously it takes you forever to get out of the city before you get into the suburbs. Um, halfway there, a client calls me and says, I'm at the office, where are you? And I totally forgot that I set up a voiceover session with this client. Um, I Unfortunately, I had to make something up, uh, and, but there was no way that I was not going to get this ad at. Um, I got there. Unfortunately, I did lose the client, but there, there, there she is. There she is. What's one client? Exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, I got I got the ad at forever. The clients come and go. But uh, do you have any stories like that? Uh, what is the craziest thing you've ever done for for a collectible? I brought a second mortgage on my house. <laughs> you you won. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this was an opportunity that I knew that if I had passed up, I would regret for the rest of my life. And it was a chance to buy some things directly from Gary Kurtz, oh, the nice. producer of Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back. And Gary had a bunch of models, uh, some of which were screen used and some of which were made for him by the model shop at ILM and were exactly like the ones that were used in the making of Star Wars. He was in charge of, uh, he, he made a lot of stuff like that as gifts for uh, some of the, the major vendors and for some of the people at the movie studios and things like that. And Gary ended up moving to um, England and he still had a lot of stuff in a storage locker in Los Angeles where I was living at the time. And um, so I heard through a third party that this was happening and got in touch with somebody who was actually representing Gary. It turned out to be the guy, Craig Miller, who was the first head of the official Star Wars fan club for Lucasfilm. And Craig and I have since become good friends. And um, 
and I went over to Craig's house. He had all the stuff out of the locker, and there were all of these models. And I just, I mean, it was just like, oh, my God, I was really nervous. And um, he told me about what the price was on, on these things. I think there were 13 different pieces. And I went home, and I thought about it. And um, I called him the next day, and I said, well, Craig, I'm interested. And he said, well, which one do you want? And I said, all of them. <laughs> and that's when I literally got a second mortgage on the house and used some of that money uh, to, uh, to buy the Kurtz collection. Wow, which he, had, he had a lot more stuff but uh, wow. back, in, back in England. Um, but, uh, that was, uh, that was a one-time opportunity and that's the kind Absolutely. of thing that, you know, you kick yourself if, for instance, if you had passed up that ad at, I would definitely you know. be kicking myself. It's a beautiful piece and, you know, it didn't come with packaging, so I'm not exactly sure, you know, it's got some label on the bottom that I have to kind of uh, look at, but it's, it's a beautiful piece, very nicely hey. detailed and weathered. Ro, yeah. you should let me go first. Like, how, how can I compare with Gary Kurt? I mean, like, so my, mine involves Burger King, and now I'm supposed to go after Gary Kurtz. Like, that ain't, that ain't right. You know, when uh, Revenge of the Sith came out uh, 2005, I was on my first submarine, and Burger King was running their line of, you know, Happy Meal toys with really nice collectibles. I still have them upstairs. Uh, but uh, I went out to sea at that time right after Revenge of the Sith uh, came out. And but I, I tasked my wife with I, I need every single one of those collectibles. Of course. Uh, from, yeah. And uh, I got, you know, I got notes from her. She uh, God bless her. Uh, she got so sick of Burger King because she kept going. To, and I, I guess either it wasn't a thing at that time or maybe they changed that you couldn't just buy the toys. You actually had to, to buy the meals. She's like, I, she was cursing me because she had eaten so much Burger King to try to get all these toys. But uh, I think we ended up getting all of them. But uh, again, it would have been a lot cooler had I gone before Gary Kurtz in a second mortgage. <laughs> the thing is that it was a collection and you wanted to get everything in it. And so you were passionate about it and, and your wife helped you. So that's a great story. So we have a quick question in the chat from uh, some folks. Uh, uh, Charlie Skywalker, one of our uh, Red 5 Network members. And uh, it's also on a list. Of what we were going to ask you, Steve, is there anything Star Wars related as far as collectible that doesn't exist that you wish did? Well, I've always wanted a set of the holographic chess pieces from the cantina and i've got a a a uh a table the chess board table that my good friend philip wise in texas made made three of them or four of them and it's it's a beautiful piece and it has electronics in it and and then we got someone else to actually sculpt these things but i always thought they'd make amazing toys and a diorama for a collector, you put it on a just a, a round piece that looks like the top of the uh, of the holographic chessboard, um, and you have your own Dejaric set. Um, and a company in Japan actually made two of the pieces, and then I guess they didn't sell. So it just tells you how much my idea is worth <laughs> in the marketplace. 
Um, but those are the only two pieces that were ever made, two of the, oh. two of the seven or eight pieces. Is there something now that exists that you're trying to get your hands on? There's nothing out there right now that uh, is, is a holy grail of mine. Um, you know, I love the, uh, the Baby Yoda stuff, the child. Um, and, you know, um, I'm, I buy things that are quirky. I buy things that are unusual. Uh, I also buy all of the, the Hasbro toys, um, all the Lego items that I can find. Um, so I keep those collections up pretty much. Um, I've given up on some areas. I collect the comic books. So I, I, when Dark Horse lost their contract and it switched to Marvel. So I think I have about a hundred of the number one, uh, covers from the, uh, from the revived Star Wars Marvel, uh, um, run. And, uh, so that was sort of fun, uh, tracking down, uh, through, uh, stores and eBay and my comic book dealer. Um, but, uh, there's nothing out there right now that I, that I would say, I mean, there are props out there, but, uh, I'm not in the position. People think that I'm rich. I was a newspaper reporter and a writer all my life. I spent my money on star Wars stuff. Um, but I, I don't have a fortune. I never have. Uh, I come from working class parents and, uh, was a working stiff myself. So, uh, it's just that what I spent, what I chose to spend my money on rather than, uh, vacations or things like that. It was Star Wars for the last 40 plus years. Collectibles. Man. I had so many over the years. The first ones that I can remember gathering were the individual Star Wars figures from Kenner. I would have staged battles between Star Wars and G.I. Joe and would use Black Cats and M80s as explosives and whoever had the most pieces whole would win that war. But the first one that uh, I remember not wanting to get blown up or damaged at all and really never even really took it out of the box was the cloud car from Empire Strikes Back. There was just something about that vessel that just was unique and just was a hands-off. I could not do anything with other than just marvel at it. Uh, I thought it was the, just the coolest addition uh, and one of my favorites still to this day. So that's the first collectible that I can remember. I wish I still had it. I'm sure it's in mom's attic somewhere, but I haven't been back home to grab it. Have a great day. And that's the scuttlebutt. That uh, I, I I feel that uh, money well spent, obviously for a lot of us, anyways. Um, you know, my wife keeps telling me, you know, if you sold those things, uh, we could have had a uh, you know a down payment on a house. I'm like, well, 
it'd be an empty house. I don't know how much that would be worth, but uh, but yeah, it's you know, collecting is is a lot of fun. And you know, you mentioned the child and and the Mandalorian. You know, for a while there were no Star Wars collectibles. There was nothing. A lot of a lot of us call those the dark times uh, for obvious reasons. But uh, you know, now that we've gotten a lot more Star Wars on the small screen through streaming and Disney Plus. You've got uh, Clone Wars and cartoons and new comic books. Uh, there's a lot of new stuff coming out. Um, the technology of creating the action figures from these, you know, simple uh, figures to even the Black Series or some of the other action figures has been phenomenal. Um, the likeness of the uh, of the characters has been. Uh, unique and um, you know the technology has advanced where do you see the world of collecting Star Wars heading towards if this continues how do you see it changing and I know you've been collecting for quite a while you've seen a lot of this change what other aspects of collecting do you kind of foresee coming well there's always the question of what technology can add to a product I mean they tried that with the com the ComTalk Com chips, right? ComTech chips, and that was not the uh, the um, most exciting uh, addition to the Star Wars line because the, the number one, the ComTech technology at the time could not go inside the figure as they initially tried to do, and then they didn't use voices from the movie the movies themselves. Um, and so it was, uh, it was more disappointing than it was an addition to the, uh, to the action figures. Um, today, technology has come along quite a bit since 1999, and there are all kinds of things they could do. The question is, you know, whether people want that and whether they will pay for that. You know, when a, uh, when a three and three quarter inch action figure sells for 1297 as opposed to $1.99 or $2.99 back in the day, um, do you want to make it even more expensive? Um, or, you know, when you add add the cost of electronics to a, a six-inch uh, series figure, I'm not sure you get that much more bang for your buck. Um, Uncle Milton tried a bunch of uh, electronic Star Wars toys, which I thought were pretty cool. The uh, the Jedi mind trick toys, where you actually use your brain to levitate uh, uh, some objects. Um, but again, this was a, a middling seller. I mean, it, it sold okay, but it wasn't the kind of thing that it sold mass market tons of stuff. So um, I think it's uh, Star Wars objects sell because of the story and the characters and not because of added technology that wasn't part of the actual movie or TV show or comic or whatever it's based on. And that's interesting too, because, you know, us as older fans, we, you know, I guess they're, they're figuring out that we have more disposable income. So a lot of these uh, better looking action figures are probably geared towards the adult collectors and not the, you know, the eight or nine year olds that are out there discovering Star Wars for the first time. Um, I know that whenever I see anything brand new that is, you know, original trilogy based, I'm I'm like right there in line. I'll grab a couple and uh, 
because again, it you know it kind of brings back those memories. But those toys nowadays are a lot better looking. They're um, you know they're, they're just handsome. I mean, take a look at some of the Black Series Mandalorian figures. They're beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, they're and incredible. S- you know some of the some of the new technology that's going into these action figures, like the the I forgot what it was called the the metal um, the metal you know i guess the coating on some of the action figures especially in the mandalorian and uh, they're phenomenal they're fantastic then there's some of the really high-end collectibles for older collectors like the yadro l-l-a-d-r-o the 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 porcelain figures that the uh, that women have collected for a long time and now they've done a star wars line and they've done a the queen amidala was their first one and it was about oh maybe 12 to 18 inches tall and it was only two thousand four hundred dollars so put it on my scarif card <laughs> you don't need a second mortgage for that yeah. how many action figures could you buy for uh for that now they've just come out with a uh, with a princess leia figure too so um so, so a little, little beyond me right now. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I know Brad wants to ask you about the encyclopedia, but we have a friend of ours in the chat, um, uh, Mr. Pete Fletzer, uh, wanted to ask, what is your favorite action figure of all time? You have to ask. My favorite action figure of all time, I think, is the original Ben Kenobi figure okay. because I've based everything here at Rancho Obi-Wan on the character Obi-Wan Kenobi because he he really talked to me. He was a mentor for Luke Skywalker and uh, got Luke to leave his comfortable existence and go on his his journey of a lifetime. And uh, in my personal and professional careers, I've been a mentor too. I've brought in people to the Wall Street Journal, to Lucasfilm, um, and have acted as a mentor towards them. And so Obi-Wan is a is a prime character as far as I'm concerned in Star Wars and and I still treasure that original Obi-Wan that I bought all of those years ago. Totally makes sense. Then there's <laughs> rocket firing Boba Fett's, but that's another story. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about that because since you brought it up twice already, um, we had a little debate between uh, another uh, another friend of mine who uh, also works at NBC with me here in Chicago. The rocket firing Boba Fett. I'm thinking that I'm telling him we're kind of arguing back and forth. Was that ever released to the public? Yes or no? No, not the original rocket firing Boba Fett. There was a product safety issue, um, and a the story goes that uh, Mattel had some Battlestar Galactica ships out there, and they had rockets about the size of the missile in the Boba Fett backpack, and it choked a young kid. And so um, the Product Safety Commission came up with the so-called choke tube. And um, if anything was smaller than the choke tube, you couldn't have it as part of a toy. Even though you had the, uh, the information on the action figure card that says ages three and up, ages four and up, you would still have problems with that. So they tried a couple of versions. They tried, the first version was the so-called uh, uh, L-slot. So the firing mechanism came down and the tab went over in like a backward L. And then they tried, they were still developing the figure. And so those, the L slot figure is, is an all blue 
um, plastic uh, figure with uh, an eight-sided missile. And then they tried a J-slot. So there was actually a tab that came down, and then it went up a little. So it was a backward J. And that was a painted figure. And, um, and that was a four-sided missile or rocket. And the problem with that is the rocket was still the same size, and it still would have could have choked a kid. <laughs> And so uh, neither of those were ever produced. And what were sent out, um, although I think there is one example of a bagged rocket-firing Boba Fett that I've heard about, uh, but what was sent out was a sonic-welded missile in the backpack and no firing mechanism, and with a note saying, sorry, but for product safety uh, reasons, you know, we're sending you this without the rocket-firing feature. And if you're disappointed, we'd be happy to send send this back, and we'd be happy to send you a different figure. So Bobo was much more dangerous as a toy than he was in the movie, is <laughs> nice. what we're saying here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Right, so we nice. we we definitely want to uh, get into uh, Rancho Obi Wan, but yeah, Ro, Ro promised me I could take a second to talk about one of my favorite collectibles, and uh, we mentioned it right before the show, and that is the Star Wars Encyclopedia by Mr. Steve Sansweet. Uh, one of my, uh, I think one of the first, I don't know, major reference material that I bought for Star Wars. Um, I still love it. It's still my go-to reference. I'll, I'll check that. You know, I'll, I'll flip right to a page. Um, you know, canon, non-canon, doesn't doesn't matter to me. Um, the, the entries are just so in-depth. Um, so, you know, thank you for, for that reference, first off. Well, um, that, but, uh, that came out in 1998, and yep. it, it was one of the reasons that I decided to leave the Wall Street Journal and go to Lucasville. Um, I was working on this book, and I, I wrote it myself. I had a couple of people help me by reading some of the books, but I had to read all of the books that had been written on Star Wars, all of the comics, all of the role-playing game books, and figure out all of the basically all of the nouns, the people, places, weapons, ships, planets, um, you name it. And um, it was taking me a long time to put this together. I would go to work during the day and at night I would go down to my office and my home office and work on the encyclopedia, but it was just dragging on forever. Lucasfilm called and said, we've got this job. Uh, we wonder whether you know somebody you might be able to recommend for it. It's, it's a one year only job, guaranteed one year only. And um, it's to go out and talk to fans around the country. And maybe you go to eight or 10 or 12 conventions and talk about the special editions of Star Wars. I had been bureau chief at the Wall Street Journal in L.A. for nine years, and it was time at the Journal to do something else or to leave the Journal and go somewhere else. And I decided that if I had this job at Lucasfilm, it meant, number one, I could stay in my house in Los Angeles, um, go out on a Friday, go to a weekend convention, come back on a Sunday or a Monday, and be able to work on the encyclopedia during the week. And so I did that. I took the job, and they just forgot to get rid of me after a year, and I stayed there for 15. <laughs> and how long did that end up taking you from, from start to finish? The encyclopedia took about a year of, of writing. Wow. 
Yeah, and that was working three, four, sometimes five days a week on it. It was writing and reading all of the source material. And, and you can get stuck in a rabbit hole in that encyclopedia, too, because oh, each yeah. entry is uh, cross-referenced with, with the other entry. So you can just keep on digging. You know, you got the whole uh, Jedi archives right there in one book. Well, the second encyclopedia, which came out in 2008, is three volumes. So it's about three times the size. And I had a cadre of seven other uh, writers and editors working on it with me. But then I, I wrote through the whole thing so it would read as if it was written by one hand. And in fact, it was, but that's because I wrote through it. But uh, Pablo Hidalgo, Bob Vitas, who was a fan who had uh, uh, done his own online uh, Star Wars encyclopedia, which was an amazing job, uh, was essential to putting together this bigger book. Uh, I don't know that there will ever be another Star Wars encyclopedia quite like that. Well, it's, yeah, it, it seems like, you know, obviously with more material coming out, uh, you know, sooner rather than later, it, it's got to be a very difficult task now to kind of put everything that has been used, uh, you know, in, in book form and try to keep track of it. Um, w what a monumental task to begin with. Well, when you see the size of the Rancho Obi-Wan Library, which is a Star Wars books only or Star Wars related books only, you'll understand why it's like a near impossible task. And Lucasfilm and uh, under Disney has been putting out a lot more in the way of kids books and young adult models and novels and so much stuff. Yeah, that's crazy. So, you know, obviously we want, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to talk to a little bit about Rancho Obi-Wan and what has been going on. Obviously, um, as I mentioned before we got started, you know, the pandemic and the situation with, uh, with everything that's going on in the world has really put a wrench into things. You know, people aren't going to the movies, people aren't going to museums and things like that. And uh, that's hurting a lot of people. But uh, why don't you tell uh, people that are watching now and people in the chat... What is going on um, with this wonderful institution of yours and uh, what folks can do to, to help out? I'm going to put your full screen for a second so we can kind of, uh, you know, hear what you have to say. Okay. Well, clearly we've had to close down tours since last March, and it looks like it's going to be the rest of the year uh, at the earliest before we can uh, resume tours. So we had an idea all along that we really rushed into completion and now we have a Rancho Obi-Wan virtual museum. You can look at it by going online to ranchoobiwan.org backslash VM or just ranchoobiwan.org and click on to virtual museum. And uh, we've got uh, a subscription uh, series. So there are five levels of uh, being able to subscribe to the Rancho Obi-Wan virtual museum. And every week there's new content. There's there's video about the collection, uh, specific collectibles. There's chats with me about you know my life and some uh, war stories of uh, working at the newspapers, uh, writing books, working at Lucasfilm. Um, there's peeks behind the scenes at events uh, like celebrations or visit by uh, Ralph McQuarrie to Rancho Obi Wan. Uh, we've got uh, a database of more than 60,000 photos that we use, uh, photos of collectibles and photos of events. 
Um, we're going to do things like uh, go to places in Rancho Obi-Wan that you really couldn't go on a tour, like some of the lofts, things, places that I haven't visited for like the last 10 years and don't know what's up there. So we could find some uh, zombies or um, uh, Jedi. I, I'm not exactly sure what. But it's a way to sort of uh, visit Rancho Obi-Wan uh, in, in the days when tours aren't possible or you live far away. Um, and um, this uh, Saturday and Sunday, because we always do uh, an exhibit at the Star Wars Celebration, and there would have been a celebration in Anaheim Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So Saturday and Sunday on the Rancho Obi-Wan Facebook page, we're doing a Facebook uh, Facebook Live um, visit to Rancho Obi-Wan and looking at some of the items that we would have brought um, for our Empire Strikes Back 40th anniversary exhibit. So we'll see things like the prototype Boba Fett uh, rifle um, that uh, when George Lucas was first looking at the original Boba Fett costume, which was all white, um, this is the uh, this is the gun that the um, editor who was dressed in the suit was holding, uh, and you see it in the photos and in uh, some of the film footage of that early fitting, as well as uh, a number of other items, both uh, both uh, items that you could purchase and items that are one of a kind, um, but. Uh, we also have a sale going on in the Rancho Obi-Wan store, and we have something called uh, Star Wars with Friends, which was a game that we've played at the last celebration, and it's a, it's a word game. You make up Star Wars words with Scrabble tiles, and we had a whole bunch of uh, um, kits of swag that you could win uh, by participating in this, and because the swag, a lot of it is dated 2020, we're selling large kits of these swags, also at a reduced price on the Rancho Obi-Wan store. So there's lots of stuff to look at on uh, RanchoObiWan.org, uh, the virtual museum, some of our um, uh, blogs from the past, and uh, the Rancho Obi-Wan store. So uh, it keeps us busy. Awesome, awesome. And I, I know, you know, when uh, when this pandemic is over, damn it, uh, I, I've... Uh, I've generated some interest in in taking a nice little road trip down there to see uh, to see you and uh, all the wonderful things. Uh, we made friends with uh, somebody that actually worked on um, the Mandalorian or the Rise of Skywalker. His name is Yoshi. Um, he said that he sent you. I think I think this is what he sent you. He was able to uh, create uh, this helmet. Um, Yes. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Very nice piece. Yeah. So, uh, he, uh, sent me a couple of those and, uh, he asked me to, uh, hope that you remembered that, uh, he sent those over to you, but, yes. uh, it's one of those things that, uh, we, we would love to do a uh, road trip to Rancho Obi-Wan, uh, when all this, uh, comes to, to, uh, to, you know, when it's over with and everybody can enjoy, uh, the company of uh, Star Wars friends in person. Um, that's, that's one of the big pluses for me of having Rancho Obi-Wan is the ability to meet people from all over the world, fellow fans, and it's been great. We've had visitors here from Russia, Dubai, um, Finland, uh, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, 
just all over the world. It's uh, it's a real treat for me to share my passion of Star Wars collecting with people from all over the world. And what's what's also fun is sometimes we get spouses, and sometimes it's not it's not always the woman. It's can be the woman who's the collector and the husband who's just coming along somewhat reluctantly and usually i've got to say at the end of the tour people are people who didn't know what to expect and um, the tour can be three hours long because it's all about the stories behind the collectibles and some of the stories like the ones that i've shared with you today and um how something was made or how i got something or um or how it fits into the saga um and um these people say i really had fun here so you never know who's going to become a star wars fan did you uh did you ever have to forcibly remove anybody from there because uh, i think that would that would be take... that would be me you would have yeah. to forcibly remove me yeah, some, guy, us out. some guy named jimmy mack we have to throw him <laughs> out every time he comes here just a real royal pain <laughs> i can't imagine but uh, Steve, I just want to thank you very much for uh, joining us here. This has been a wonderful discussion. Uh, we are uh, very grateful for your time. Um, you know, we, we want to end, obviously, with, uh, you know, letting you know that uh, you have a, a second home. Anytime you want to come down here and talk Star Wars Collectibles with us at the Scarif uh, Scuttlebutt podcast. But, uh, you know, we usually do a, a little Q&A segment that we call Sentry Mode, and it's something that Brad and I started. Uh, you know, we started the podcast right after Star Wars Celebration in April last year and have been having tons of fun talking to people, just like yourself, meeting a lot of people all over the Internet. Um, I, I know I keep saying this, but uh, my mother has always told me not to meet strange men on the Internet, but that's, <laughs> that's, how, uh, that's how Brad and I uh, met. So um, we, you know, we share the love of Star Wars, uh, among other things, but uh, we're going to play a, a quick little segment before we leave called Sentry Mode. We've got five questions for you. They are Star Wars collectible related. This is Sentry Mode. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure this is, uh, this is like throwing you softballs. So, uh, Brad, you want to take the first question? We'll alternate. Sure. And just for the record, if Steve has different answers than what we have, I'm, we're going to take his answers as the correct ones. <laughs> and we'll say we were wrong in exactly. the answer that we provided. Exactly. Uh, all right, Steve. First one. Uh, name. See, th this is this. I, I can't, bro. Name the first company that had a licensing deal to create Star Wars action figures. Kenner Products, a subsidiary of General Mills Fun Group. Excellent. I think he's right, Brad. I think he. I think he's right as well. Yeah. All right. Number two, Sentry Mode. Name the action figure line that was released in the mid '90s that made most of our heroes look like they took too much steroids. Power of the Force Two, or yes, Power of the Force Two. That is correct. And I still I still have a lot of those. And everybody had a jetpack for some Han, reason. Han Solo Flex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, what were the small toy vehicles uh, that were marketed as being just outside the camera view of the movies? Well, that's my good friend Mark Boudreau who designed all of the mini rigs. 
Excellent. Yeah. And they did a wonderful job on those. They really do look like they were part of the movie or it should be someplace in the movie. I love uh, I love those stories, and you know, watching uh, the episode of the toys that made us uh, really brought back a lot, especially with those, and just hearing the story of how Lucasfilm and Kenner, you know, got together to uh, to bring so much joy to many children across the world. It's a fantastic story. If it hadn't been Kenner, it wouldn't have been anybody because they were the last resort, and they were just a middling size toy company they were probably the fifth largest toy company in the u.s and lucasfilm and 20th century fox had gotten shut out of all the major toy makers so um somebody was very smart at the time yeah definitely question number four according to collectibles lore what's the most expensive star wars action figure that exists and i just wrote down three based on a uh, quick quiz that I kind of researched before, but uh, like Brad said, whatever you say is probably more right than anything. <laughs> well, it's all according whether you count the couple of handfuls of rocket-firing Boba Fets that are out there. That would be absolutely by far the most valuable. Some of those have gone for over, well over a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. And then and we, we as far as more accessible ones, the vinyl cape Jawa on the card would be one of them. Um, Yak face would be up there, but yeah, but definitely the rocket firing fit. And I know I see a lot of them on eBay that are reproductions, and I think I'm going to pick one up just to say at least I have a reproduction. But those are those are pretty good. Yeah, they're they're done by a guy in Singapore. Yeah. All right, last question. Pretty sure we can go five for five here. On Kenner's X-Wing, how do you lock S-foils in attack position? You press a little thingy in the back. Um, mm. Wait a second. It's mm. been a long time since I've locked my X-foils in position. Think, There's carefully, a little... think carefully, Steve. Hey, Ro, what was your source for the for the answer? Do you still you, you have one for a yeah, source, or is this? I have I have an X wing. You have that one. You have Kenner's. Yeah. Okay. What's the answer? The R two D two head on the back. When you push you're it right. down, yes, I forgot. Locks up. Yep. You're right. Woohoo! Okay, four for five. <laughs> no, he forgot, but he knew it at one but, point. Yeah. So we're giving him five for five. Yeah, yeah. That's how There's we give him no a comeback. This is Sentry Mode. Awesome, Steve. Well, again, I hope you had fun uh, discussing uh, Star Wars collectibles with us as much as we had fun with you. Um, any last thoughts on, um, you know, like I said, we'd, we'd love to definitely plan a trip to go out and see you guys. Um, and and uh, just, I just, I can't imagine walking into, you know, from the sizzle reel, I just can't imagine and I know, you know, my wife tells me that I have a lot of Star Wars toys, but after I showed her the sizzle reel, I told her to, to keep it in perspective. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's why I've saved many marriages and relationships by having a couple come here and uh, and seeing it and, and having having one of the spouses say to the other, honey, just as long as you never get this crazy, I guess I'm okay with it. <laughs> so I can say marriages and relationships that's part of the joy of visiting rancho obi-wan and as i said these days you can visit the virtual rancho obi-wan by going to rancho obi-wan.org 
And uh, these days we can use all the help and all the visitors that we can get. Absolutely. And we will definitely do our part to spread the word, Steve. And uh, thank you so much again. Brad, any final thoughts? Bro and Brad, it's good to meet you uh, virtually. And uh, you guys take care and enjoy the rest of your weekend. You do the same. Can I ask a favor? Can you uh, just say your name? And we usually sign off with a little catchphrase that we've developed for our podcast. We say, that's the scuttlebutt. This is Steve Sansweet, and that's the scuttlebutt. Greetings, listener. Just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the Red 5 Network family. Red5network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love. So the next time you're itching for quality content, make sure you head over to red5network.com. You'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more. All wings report in. It's the Red 5 Network.